listening to the Leadership Woman podcast with me, Jill Savile. My guest today is Eugenia Jets. There we are, finally. And uh, she lives and works in Luxembourg in the financial sector. But she will be talking a lot more about what she does outside of work, I'm sure. I know that she's president of one of the English-speaking Toastmaster clubs. Um, I don't think we've talked much about Toastmasters on the podcast, so maybe this is an opportunity. So welcome. Welcome to the Leadership Woman podcast. Thank you very much, Jill. Many thanks uh, for having me. You're welcome. And I know that you understand how this works. We're going to go through your life story, really, and discover what you've learned along the way. So where were you born? My place of birth is the snowy Siberia. (laughs) Snowy Siberia. So take us there, because I've not interviewed anybody who was born in Siberia. So how many years were you there? Uh, until the age of 18, more or less. So okay. all my childhood was spent there. Mm. So give me, give me a flavor of it. Well, um, I come from Novosibirsk, which is one of the biggest industrial cities uh, in, um, in, in, in Russia. Uh, it's a city that was established just a little bit over 100 years ago. But it went through tremendous growth because it happened to be on the Trans-Siberian Railway. So some of the other cities that were much um, older and more recognized before, they sort of faded away. And it's Novosibirsk that became uh, really uh, the city of the region. There are about 2 million people living there. There is a lot of culture. There is one of the biggest... um, opera theaters there so big that uh, when um, actors from uh, moscow and st petersburg uh, went there over the summer um, their decorations for the stage were not big enough and uh, at the same time in novosibirsk there is also a little silicon valley if you can call it so so in the 50s 60s of the 20th century there was an academic city that was founded there, which is more or less 30 kilometers from the center of Novosibirsk, where you have um, dozens of uh, scientific institutes, like nuclear physics, biology, and where there is also a university. And I went to this university doing science, doing human science, um, French, uh, yeah, French, uh, and you're blowing away all of my preconceptions of Siberia because, of course, I'm, I'm British. I've only heard of it in films and uh, it certainly wasn't, wasn't a, a good place. So um, it had a sig- Silicon Valley then. It has a huge opera house. You were there till you were 18. And what about the culture that your parents gave to you? Um, uh, how you would would you define the culture, Joe? Just maybe to. I, I suppose I'm thinking of uh, what values did you take away from them? 
because I know you. So let me, let me, I know you really well. And you've got a work culture. You've got a work ethic. You always want to be doing something. And I wondered where that came from. Oh, okay. Thank you. I can try to explain. I think that the best, uh, the most important value that uh, I have taken away from my parents is, uh, is love. I was uh, bathing in love as a child, uh, although I was the biggest child out in the big family of uh, four kids. Yeah, and we were going through some really turbulent times. Now I'm trying to explain to my kid what the hyperinflation is, and she has got no clue, right? Like most of the people, but we were leaving all of that, moving from the Soviet Union to the uh to the 80s to the 90s and then then from the 90s to 2000 with hugest economical crisis so life for my parents i wouldn't say that it was very easy uh, though um like when you say it like that my father is a professor at one of the siberian universities my mother is a doctor yeah but their life wasn't easy because they were not necessarily gaining uh, they were gaining much less than, for example, a, a worker, a construction worker, you know. And um, the values that I got from them is really, first of all, is love. Um, I have always been loved, regardless of any external circumstances. And I think that this is something that uh, gave me uh, the energy I, that I have and that I'm sharing with others. And uh, it helps me also, it helped me, it helps me, and I think it will continue helping me um, uh, finding my right way in some maybe difficult situations. Hmm. Helping you to find your way through difficult situations, follow the right path. Mm -hmm. So your parents, one was a professor, one was a doctor, and if I understand you, they earned less than construction workers. Exactly. My goodness. But clearly there was an academic side. Um, knowledge was something that was a good thing in your family. And you went to America to study, is that right? That, that's correct. And for that, I must say a big thank you to a famous Masonet who has done a fortune on a Forex deal. And his name is George Soros. George Soros, uh, Hungarian fin uh, financial uh, specialist and uh, very well-known person, was um, really, he, I think he fell in love with the concept of open society at a certain point. And he thought that um, when people speak to each other, they will never be against each other afterwards, that the communication is the key. And um, I was lucky to participate in one of his um, exchange programs yeah, um, and was selected in this process and were among, uh, I was among uh, th three, four uh, students of uh, my age. I think that we were around 19, something like that, to go to the United States for one year where everything was completely uh, taken care of meaning the plane tickets, uh, tuition studies at the university, uh, like housing, um, money as well. So we just went there 
completely out of our comfort zone, out of uh, our normal environment for one year, and after one year, returned back. Yeah, so the, it, it's a nice story by itself, because even, you know, Jill, uh, some friends of mine, my, my boyfriend at the time, he was telling me, well, you know, you will be a little bit losing one year, you know, but when I look back, um, I must say that uh, this year has given me much more that I could have uh, expected from it. It gave me the possibility to see how the life is outside of the environment uh, to which I was used to, get connection with new people, have a new perspective and view on life, because this is also when I started to study something completely different. I went there, I said, no, I don't want to do humanities or languages. I want to study economics for one year. So I kicked off with um, uh, microeconomics, uh, entre uh, entrepreneurial studies for one year. And it was tough <laughs> because I have never done it before. Um, and some would say that you would not be able to do it because, I mean, you have always studied humanities. But then really working hard on it, asking good questions, uh, being in good connection with the um, professors at the university helped a lot and gave me such a new perspective that while coming back, I really wanted to pursue my economical studies. Because I saw the perspective that um, languages are really important, but then on the other side, you have a possibility with the uh, economical studies, like economy is really global, and uh, things that happen, some news affect the economy. And it's some sort of a balance as well. It's some sort mm. of additional rules that, uh, I don't know, manage the world, I would say. So you left your home country you went to america you did something you'd never done before which i think is a theme for your life <laughs> i think so your boyfriend thought oh you would just be losing a year um but it sounds like that gave you your taste for what life was like outside so what did you do then how long were you back in russia before you moved out again um, I would say about two years. So mm -hmm. I came back and it was a shock. Actually, it was a shock going to the States and it was a shock coming back as well. And it was a little bit special situation because we uh, during this program, they were preparing us about it. You know, we had a like, special talk talks with psychologists as well, explaining you know, you are some sort of experiment uh, people, right? So you, we will be take you out <laughs> of your natural environment. You get to a new environment. You will just have the time to adapt to this new environment when you will be back. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I came back to, to Russia. I pursued my studies uh, at the university. Um, and while being in the States, uh, I always loved French. I really uh, um, appreciated learning a French language and it was one of my specialization in Russia as well to become afterwards the professor for French uh, language in, a, in a, 
at the Russian schools or Russian universities. And uh, when I had an opportunity one year later with my university to go to Paris to do academic studies in one of the Parisian universities, I absolutely signed up directly and said, yes, uh, it would be great because, uh, you, you know, another thing maybe that I wanted to share is that um, I really was born in, in a, in a, um, and was grown up in a little bit closed environment, meaning I was born in the Soviet Union and then afterwards in the big city of two million inhabitants, we just had, for example, to learn French two native speakers, two out of um, two million people. That means that languages were learned always uh, with books, sometimes with films. Yeah, but most of the teachers who taught me the language have never been in the country hmm. where English is native language or where French is native language. And um, I could see uh, while coming back from the United States how important it was uh, and uh, um, such a big impact it has when you are really in the environment of native speakers and how it enhances your language skills. So I re absolutely wanted to go for three months uh, to France in order to improve my French. So I did. <laughs> so I did. So you did. And you mentioned there that uh, it was a shock going out. It was a shock coming back. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you describe that. I know that I felt not that it was totally a different culture, but just coming out of the insular UK into mm -hmm. a wider Europe, I yep. appreciated that the world was bigger and I did find difficulty going back to visit. So I can't I begin to imagine what it was what it was like for you. So you came out for three months then to Paris. What happened then? I did studies on political correctness uh, with the, um, my um, director of studies at Parisian University. It was really cool experience because. Uh, I realized that my French was uh, the French of Le Monde de la Libération. <laughs> <laughs> but clearly, when I could hear people on the street, I would not be able always to understand what they were talking about. So it was again a headache, but a headache, um, when, I, when I say headache, is in the States, my first week, I was a little bit like in the clouds, you know, uh, from, from the fact of trying to understand what people tell me. Not, not being able always to respond and the mind was working 24-7 uh, at 1,000%, 1, 1, not even 100. <laughs> and that was also the case in France. And once I finalized my studies, I came back to uh, Russia. And, and at the same time, I actually met my future husband when I was uh, in, the, in Parisian University. Yeah, um, so we decided that I could continue my studies in um, uh, France. Yeah, so I finalized my studies in Russia. And then um, my director uh, was very happy um, at the Parisian University and wanted to pursue uh, the master degree with me and, and the research that I was doing. 
So I got an invitation from him and uh, more or less half a year later, when my studies were finalized, I subscribed to a Parisian university and did a master in political communication there. So this is the point when I actually moved uh, to Europe, yeah. So earlier you said political correctness, you mean mm -hmm. political communication? Well, political communication uh, was really the um, name of the studies. The, diplo the diploma that I got, Master in Political Communication. But then um, it was the fifth year, uh, so there were not that many courses actually to go through, but the main point was the research. And the research that I have done uh, was done on political correctness. You know how we try to be tolerant and sometimes uh, with beautiful and sometimes even confusing words, and not saying things to straight to the point, yes. <laughs> but invent something else. And this is something that uh, was is wide, wasn't is widespread in French, as well in English. And that was the subject of my research. Mm -hmm. So, so I digress there because I was curious as to uh, political correctness. Um, and is there such a thing in Russia then, political correctness? I think so, but not as much as in French and as in English. <laughs> no. no, we tend to be straight to the point, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. straight to the point. Uh, so you met your future husband in the university. You found a way to come back and live in France. You continued your studies. You did your master's. What happened then? Afterwards, um, I was then in Luxembourg with my diploma and I wanted to work, yeah, and um, because I have always been working. And by the way, it was very interesting situation. It was uh, in Luxembourg. It's for the very first time I found myself in the situation when I was not working. <laughs> I was just studying and that's it. And, uh, and for the very first time in my life also... Um, I didn't have my friends around me yeah. uh, because it's one thing when you move somewhere for one year and it's another thing when you move uh, somewhere uh, definitely yeah and also we all have our great friends that we have from high school from the university so um, here in Luxembourg I had to do something from uh, everything from scratch I had to find people from scratch and uh, the difficulty was also that uh, at that time there was no university in Luxembourg, which means that uh, most of the people of, um, let's say, my uh, age frame, um, potentially my interests, people with who, whom I could hang out, <laughs> they were all over the Europe. They were not in Luxembourg. So really, I got those connections when I started working first. Uh, uh, in the publishing house, uh, proofreading in English, and then afterwards uh, being responsible for 21 proofreaders uh, in different uh, languages here in Luxembourg as well as in, uh, in, in Poland, because there was a daughter company in Poland and we were, uh, those were really nice and a bit crazy times because um, 
all the like it, the, the the publishing house was taking care of the publications on the uh, of the official journal, yeah, European official journal. That means that um, uh, some laws uh, would be passed during the day, and uh, directly they needed to be published. And mm-hmm. for that, first they were translated, and then afterwards proofread. Mm. And um, we we could not finish and. Un- our day until uh, all the documentation of the day of the laws laws would have been proofread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you left publishing and you moved where? To finance, because at a certain point after one year, I really enjoyed uh, working with uh, people. We had a great team, but then I thought, okay, uh, what do I do next? I really like uh, finance, I really like economics, and what, how can I see the progress? What is the, um, let's say, the, the main uh, skill of Luxembourg? What is the main point in Luxembourg where there is the possibility to progress, to learn the most? Yeah, And uh, that was then, uh, and it still is, though more diversified right now, but it was finance. Mm. So I applied to a position at a transfer agency that was retained within one of the big banks uh, here in Luxembourg. And this is how my financial journey started. Completely from scratch, because I had no clue what the uh, the investment fund was when I joined. So you had a whole range of things to learn again. Mm-hmm. and operate Absolutely. again Absolutely. and new new people to connect with um so where do you want to move to now then what what was the important next step jill i do not know it's a good question i think that uh i, I really like uh the parts of uh, I mean, I would distinguish my work life and my passions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from my work life, I must say that I'm uh, into the financial industry and I do have diverse and very interesting responsibilities, which I enjoy. It's very diverse. But then uh, on the other side, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's financial industry. And uh, for example, my creative part is not necessarily being expressed there yeah and uh, as you know i'm also fond of um, sailing i really like sailing i really like public speaking public speaking to a certain extent is very very useful in finance as well like everywhere in whichever sphere but um for yeah for for my creative part I develop it on the side by playing the guitar, but by singing, <laughs> by potentially thinking to release a CD this year. Because um, back then, uh, still in Russia, I recorded, uh, I composed songs, and then uh, I recorded some of them a bit later, and most of them last year. 
uh, in one of the studios here in Luxembourg and I thought that this is an important part of me that I put on standby at a certain point like all of us do right <laughs> we do have our priorities and I decided that I would like to uh, bring life into this uh, into this passion and uh, do it so you put music on standby to a certain extent then, um, but it was certainly a, a big passion. You're a singer-songwriter. I can remember coming to your first concert in Luxembourg, and I know that you're hoping to publish a CD this year. Uh, tell me a bit more about sailing, because um, Luxembourg is quite a landlocked country, and yet you decided... Well, I knew you before. You said, I want to learn sailing. I want to be a, a what? A trainer of sailing? <laughs> what did you go off to be? Well, right now I'm a skipper. I've got my skipper license. So technically speaking, that I received uh, last year, I passed uh, all the exams. So I've got an equivalent of permis-mer. So it's like with, uh, in cooperation with the Royal Yacht Association and one of the associations here in Luxembourg. And how did I get into this? Um, at a certain point, um, I just tried it out. I've got a friend whom I have not seen for over 10 years. And I met him in Siberia, where I came with my kids uh, at a certain point, I think around four years ago. And uh, we had a cup of tea or maybe a beer <laughs> <laughs> together in the evening. He, he told me, you know, we are going to a regatta next summer. And a friend of mine, he lives in the States. Yeah, so like his life completely changed. Mine also changed because... Uh, since the time I divorced, many things have changed in my life as well. And it was nice, very nice to catch up. He's like, yeah, uh, with my wife, we are going to regatta next summer. Would you like to join? And I said, uh, looks interesting. But I thought it was something that was reserved only to a certain part of population, right? Mm -hmm. Sounds a little bit uh, not for everyone. And I have never been there I have never done it and he said why don't you try I can tell you the dates I can tell you the price yeah and you can organize yourself and it's true as I knew it months in advance you know I blocked the date uh, it's like one week and we went to Croatia uh, it was a regatta done in Croatia and in one week time I realized that first of all I really love it <laughs> <laughs> and second of all, uh, it's the whole different perspective that opened to me. Because you know, when you, when you are a pedestrian, you don't drive. You have one perspective. Then at a certain point, you get your driver's license <laughs> and, and you get an additional perspective. And uh, with the boat at the time, not the license, just the view on it, it gave an additional perspective as well which was very interesting. Mm. There I met people who were um, responsible for trainings on the big tall ships, like little bit pirate uh, ships. The difference with the yacht, yacht mo mostly have tri triangular sails. Yeah? And um, big pirate ships, they mostly function on the square sails. Yeah, those are some triangular, but mostly square. 
and then I have tried it uh, as well and uh, since then I just understood it's my passion and then yeah. you're right Jill when you say like Luxembourg is uh, uh, a little bit uh, locked wonderful country but not uh, at the shore and this is exactly the thing that I told to myself uh, Evgenia what are you doing you know you live in Luxembourg <laughs> you, you do not have access to the sea why in the world would you want to pursue that but then you know Jill I looked into myself and said do you want it and the me inside of me told me <laughs> of course yes this is absolutely something that I want to do it's like oh all right then the circumstances will arrange themselves isn't it mm. <laughs> I should absolutely do it this is why I, I have done uh, the skipper's license and as well after the trip on this tall ship uh, I will I did also the training uh, to become an instructor on the tall ships so since then I've been around Cape Horn I've been uh, between Iceland and Faroe Islands in Norway um, I've been around Denmark as an instructor last year I have been in Russian Arctic as an instructor as well as in Iceland as well on a, on a, on a Dutch ship and this year, if everything goes well, <laughs> which I hope, <laughs> uh, in August I will go to Greenland as well with a, with a great crew of um, uh, Dutch crew on a, on a Wildesfone Dutch ship. Yeah, as an instructor taking care of um, trainees. Are you, uh, are you thinking about going anywhere warm? <laughs> <laughs> I can hear Arctic <laughs> and Greenland and my idea of a yacht and ships, uh, you know, somewhere warm. <laughs> but you know, it's very warm because on, on a tall ship you have to move a lot. Hmm. You have to work with the sails and uh, with the steering wheel. And uh, like when you're lucky, you've got the right wind. Uh, so you adjust uh, your course rear the wind. You have to adjust those sails, uh, I wouldn't say all the time, but you're not cold. This I can tell you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So are you thinking about being uh, going around the world single-handedly then? or That would be great. But for the moment, it's not something that I can do because I've got my obligations, let's say. I've mm -hmm. got my plans. Yeah, I have to take care of my two wonderful ch children as well yeah but later on when I'm done working you know that's my plan mm. I'd really like I mean I hope that I will be able to do that and for that I'm right now getting my experience yeah and planning maybe it, it ahead yes it it's funny I asked that question because it just came into my mind that you're just the kind of person that would, that would go <laughs> and do that kind of thing. So it's no surprise there. I would need a team, Jill. I would need a team of uh, crazy people like me to do that. I'm sure you could find them, but don't look in this direction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so um, you've got your hobbies, you've got your passions, um, as well as sailing. As well as your music, you also decided to go and practice public speaking and you joined Toastmasters a few years ago. Absolutely. Uh, That's that correct. What does that bring you? Uh, 
it brings me a whole lot, actually. And I was considering, I have heard about Toastmasters um, over 10 years ago. And I was coming uh, from times to times to different uh, clubs as a guest. But the timing was never right. Because I needed to block... Um, because when I engage myself into something, I want to do it uh, right. I don't want to engage myself and disengage. <laughs> I want to be sure that I have got uh, the possibility to do it, an opportunity to do it, and the time for it, and uh, financing, and whatever. And the timing was never right. Either, either I had too much work, then I got kids, <laughs> then they were growing up. Um, and when I uh, finally, uh, two years ago, two years and a half ago, I thought, okay, and then I'll grown up, I can, uh, I can do it. I can do it. And I joined Greenheart Toastmasters Club of Luxembourg. Um, and it gave me a lot of uh, energy and a lot of inspiration. Why? Uh, I, because I see, like, primarily I joined to be able to do speeches. Because this is a little bit going out of your comfort zone, being in, the, in front of a public. And uh, with Toastmasters, it's only the first speech that you are doing uh, with your notes. Um, for all the upcoming speeches, you might have maybe a couple of words to guide you. But all the rest you have to pull out, let's say, of your head. You cannot have a printed text in front of you. And uh, it's also the creativity part that really attracted me because when you live different experiences, you want to share them somehow. And I did so through the speeches. And then after one year of being uh, with Toastmasters, with the club, I was asked if I could become the part of the board of the club, being a... Um, Vice President of Public Relations, which I was very happy to hear and uh, honored to accept. So there came additional leadership responsibilities that I didn't come into the Masters for, but uh, that I had to embrace. And it was really interesting uh, experience. And this year, um, after one, one term as a Vice President of uh, Public Relations, I was asked to become a president and then I was like, really? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a great honor for me and a recognition from my members of the club and the former president that they thought of me, suggested me and voted unanimously for me. And somehow and ended up not having only to do the speeches, which I continue doing because I enjoyed so much. But uh, also work with a great team as a part of the board, as the president, uh, for the well-being of uh, our club, which involves many things, which involves board meetings, which involves delegation, which involves uh, leadership, working together, developing the strategy for the club, uh, making sure that our members are comfortable and happy and are learning and uh, are not too comfortable either, you know, no. that they, they progress as well. So uh, it's, it's, it's tough to say in one word what Toastmasters give to me, 
but certainly many, many, many things from the leadership perspective and from um, expression perspective as well. I noticed that since that time, you know, that I joined, I'm now able uh, to, 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 to voice my opinion uh, much better than I used to. Yes, and anybody listening who's interested in Toastmasters, of course, I think there's at least five English-speaking clubs in, in Luxembourg. Um, and the natural ability, the confidence that it gives you, that's sort of a expected, isn't it? That's what we go for. We go to learn to, to speak and uh, to be more confident. The other things that you talk about, though, we have to be engaged, we have to be committed because we are there as part of other people's mm -hmm. development. It, it really is a shared experience. And then there's the leadership that if anybody isn't already in a leadership role, this is the place to go to. Um, and what I like about Toastmasters is that you're a leader one year and then you're back on the, on the board another year, the, the head, goes round doesn't it exactly the presidential role goes round so you don't have to annoy people <laughs> because they might be leading you the year after so it really is quite an unusual organization I think uh, so um I did ask you over the years what are three things that you've learned that you think other people might be interested to take away today so what's number one Thank you, Jill. So the first one would be being authentic and uh, looking inside of you who you really are. The second one would be not being afraid. Uh, not being afraid to go outside of your comfort zone. Not being afraid to try things to do the action instead of overthinking it and maybe correcting it on the way. And uh, the third thing is uh, how do you accomplish all of this <laughs> in our busy lives where we have, done, uh, we have got less and less time to accomplish things, isn't it? And where the, where the pressure is big. Um, it's doing baby steps. Take baby steps, yes. Yeah. Take yeah. baby steps, yeah. Take baby steps. So um, be authentic. And there is so much in your life that I heard where actually you seem to just have a thirst for knowledge and trying new things. And you're going in one direction and then you very easily go off in a different direction. Humanities, okay. Languages, okay. Economics, well, then we're going into political correctness. And now you're into banking, finance. Um, but the authentic, you are creative and you need to do that outside, is what, what I'm hearing. And don't be afraid. I absolutely know you as somebody who uh, you do take action. You don't overthink things. And, uh, and the decision to do sailing when you're nowhere near a shore. I think that's quite brave because many of us would have talked ourselves out of it. Whereas you're thinking, 
actually I'm learning practicing for the future. Who knows? And the third thing, definitely, the baby steps. As long as you're going in the right direction, um, that's, that's how we change our lives. Thank you so much for coming. On Thank you, Jill. And talking about the, your journey through life so far, I know that you're a young woman and there's much, much more to come. I wish you all the best with your CD. And I think you're going to do some concerts this year, you said. Absolutely, that's in the plan. We'll look out for that then. Thank you so much for coming on the Leadership Woman podcast today. Thank you so much, Jill, for having me. It's always such a pleasure for me. To... <laughs> I'll see you soon. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, the hardest thing will be your name, I think. Evgenia Jets. Jets? Jets. Jets. I think Evgenia Jets is fine. Evgenia Jets. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> And my guest today is Evgenia Jets. No. And my guest today is Evgenia Jets. My guest today is. <laughs> <laughs>